Welcome to the Beacon Church Podcast. Each week we post a sermon from our last Sunday service so you can catch up, review, or share with your friends. We pray as you listen to this week's episode, you're encouraged and equipped to love God, love people, grow in Christ, and serve the world. So, some years ago, the local church, not this local church, but a local church, nearly killed my soul. I was a teenager, and uh, the, I, there's a lot of things I appreciate from my, my uh, church background and spiritual upbringing. I had uh, been raised up until about seven or eight years old, nine years old, I guess, something like that, uh, mostly in uh, the Catholic church, and then after that, we moved to some other churches, and, and uh, there are some really rich things and important moments that happened uh, back then, but there were also a number of things that really did uh, put me off. And uh, kind of set me back, uh, you could say. I, um, I was a uh, particularly cynical um, kind, of a, kind of a kid, uh, skeptical, uh, very much so. In fact, I guess I'm really still skeptical and very cynical. Uh, so I don't, I don't know what the gospel's doing there. Uh, but uh, but the, uh, one of the churches that I had been a part of, they... It, they made a, a big deal about a lot of different things that didn't really resonate with my soul. And so it felt like there was a lot of emotional stuff going on, but I didn't feel particularly uh, connected or grounded in God or his word or his promises or anything like that. And we had, we had this massive, awesome, beautiful building with like, like gold stuff everywhere. And, and it, like, it was just, it was, it was beautiful uh, but man, it was expensive. It had been a huge building campaign. And it really made things for a while at the church a little bit difficult because it just seemed like it was always about money. And uh, there was a, one particular day, and I think there was kind of a breaking moment in my soul, uh, when um, the, 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 the pastor had said, you, you ever been to those churches? Maybe you've seen it where like, they have the, the sermon. Back then it was like an hour. And then they had like the mini sermon that happened right before the offering. And so they would do that for like another 15 minutes. And then like if, if the plate came back a little bit light, they'd send it again. Like, so some of us have been, have been you, know, you know what I'm talking about. We've been in those environments at some point. And, and so this particular day, uh, they asked a question. The pastor said, who here loves Jesus? Who here loves, raise your hand if you love Jesus. And this is what we did, because of course he's looking at you. Scott, you don't love Jesus? Yeah, there it is. So Scott, you love, Eddie, do you, you love Jesus? I got to see those hands. If I, you got, all right, I see it. You got to, well, all right, I'm glad the care pastors have their hands up. Do you love Jesus? All right, you guys, all right, everyone's got your hand up. Now, reach in, grab your, grab your checkbook and show Jesus how much you love him. I was like, that had to be one of the most manipulative moments I have ever witnessed as a cynical and skeptical teenager. And so I left the faith uh, largely in every way. Uh, maybe in name only did I even once occasionally claim to be a Christian. And that wasn't the moment that I had left, but it was a little later uh, as heart continued to kind of harden against some things. And, uh, and I just lived as far away from God as you could live. Very, in fact, not even with the kind of guilt that people talk about. You know, they, that when they say, oh, I left the faith, but the guilt and the shame, it was so much. I, I finally got I was like, nope, I was free of all of that. And, and so I was living however I wanted, doing whatever I wanted. And then I got to uh, college, and uh, I met my wife, or soon my then-girlfriend, uh, but became my wife, Cheryl. And uh, 
at the time, Cheryl was like a lukewarm Christian, which was way, way ahead of me. Uh, but, uh, but she was kind of lukewarm. But she had just enough mix of Catholic and Baptist guilt that she really felt like she needed to go to church. And so at some point in our budding relationship, she decided she was going to go to church and she really wanted me to go with her. And I was like, oh, this is not a good development. This is going to totally put a, a, a hamper on the current state of our relationship because I know that's what the church people are going to say and this isn't going to help us, me particularly. Maybe, maybe help her, but it's not going to help me and what I'm interested in um, as a now, what, 19-year-old kid or something's 18-year-old kid. So uh, we start going to church and uh, it was a totally different kind of a place. It was a converted supermarket. The building was neat, but it was plain. That you could tell they hadn't they hadn't dumped a ton of money into it, and it was it was chill, it was casual, and it was just a, a very cool vibe. And you know, where one church that I had been to, it seemed like they they were really upset about sin, just not their sin. They were upset at your sin, uh, but this church was different. Like they we they, they we talked about things. He was talking about things that matter. But anyway, it got to the point. One of the very first times we were there. And he says, hey, we're going to receive the morning offering. Ushers, would you come forward? We used to do that. We used to send ushers and, and baskets and stuff. We don't do that anymore. But uh, so he says, ushers, come forward and, and uh, receive the morning offering. And I was like, here we go. Now the mini sermon starts. We're going to listen to 15 minutes of why I got to give money. I'm a college kid. I ain't giving nothing. And so, but of course, I'm sitting there, people are going there, and she's there, so I got to give something. And so, you know, you're kind of reaching in, and you're like, I got to do something here, otherwise she's going to be like, he doesn't care about Jesus. So, um, so the, but the pastor says, hey, um, so listen, we're going to receive the offering, but if you don't want to give, don't give. Go buy yourself a burger. God don't need your money. Did you hear that? The God don't put that right back in there where it stayed for a long time. And I was like, now the guy has my attention because now I'm like, all right, all right, you know, that's good. I'll pay afterwards. How about that? If you bring the goods, then maybe I'll drop something in the plate. I always feel like we should do that. We should always take, receive the offering after the guy. Anyway, so, but like, so then we, and then all he does is he opens up the Bible and he says, all right, so last week we finished it, whatever it was, John 13, verse 11. Uh, we're going to start in verse 12. And then he just taught the Bible. He did it for like an hour. Just taught the Bible. And I was like, this is so cool. I'm like actually learning something about the Bible. Like I'm learning something about God and Jesus. And like this was pretty cool. And then, and then we did it another Sunday and then another Sunday. And then we heard that they were teaching the Bible on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. And so we went to those as well. And so every, and then there we joined a ministry. It was a marriage ministry, and we were just dating at the time, but it was like a, a couple's ministry. And you know what they did when we showed up there? They taught the Bible. That was largely it. They hung out, they had food, they taught the Bible. I was like, this is cool. Then I, I signed up to Usher. And so, uh, and back in that church, ushering was like a thing because it wasn't just like helping people sit, but we had to prep the whole building. And so we were vacuuming and cleaning toilets. Here's a college kid. I'm cleaning out the urinals because they told me to go do it. And, and I was like, okay. But before we started cleaning the urinals and vacuuming, the guy who was running the ushers team, you know what he did? He opened the Bible. He taught the Bible. It was everywhere. Everywhere we turned, somebody was there teaching the Bible, talking about the Bible, applying it to our lives, challenging us with it. And, and I was it, man. I was done for. 
I just started to fall in love with the scriptures in a way that I had never experienced. I was starting to hear God in fresh and new ways. And I was being encouraged, but I was also being challenged, challenged in, in some really critical areas of our of my life and our relationship and things like that. And so this, and so in a sense, I guess a, a local church nearly nearly killed my soul, but it was a local church that also gave me access to a resource, the word of God that was so unbelievably powerful and transformative in my soul that I have rarely been without it now decades later. And I think there are a lot of people here who could tell similar stories about their own relationship with God's word. They're gonna, they'll tell you stories about the incredible power that the Bible has to transform lives, to challenge our souls, to comfort us when, when we are in sorrow, to strengthen us when we are in weakness, to give us direction when the world seems topsy-turvy. We go to the scriptures and, and we, we see more clearly because of it. And of course, most of us have experienced times where the Bible isn't any of those things. It's really just a dull read. And you're like, okay, gotta make, I got to go through my reading plan or hit my checklist and nothing seems to be happening. And, you, you know, you start wondering, like, what's going on? Maybe it's my heart. Maybe it's just the book. I don't know. You know, the spirit seems very quiet. And who knows what the, the situation is or the circumstance. But I think most of us could attest to that as well, that that's happened, that we have these dry seasons. And then every once in a while, even sometimes I'm reading through a scripture that I'm like, okay, I just got to read through it because I'm, I'm a pastor. I should read the Bible. And so I'm just reading, and I get through it, and then like weeks later, something happens. I'm wrestling with some issue, some sin, some, you know, some, some frustration or some anger, and, and that dull read from three weeks ago or three months ago, that, that, that boring thing that, that felt like it was doing nothing suddenly comes back into my mind and into my heart, and it, and it helps me, uh, the story or an idea or a principle just sort of pierces into this moment and kind of connects the, the realm of heaven and the realm of earth in this incredibly powerful way. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, it was, I felt dull back then because I was stockpiling. I, I was storing up for the future. I didn't even know it then. And I could approach the scriptures with that kind of trust now. But I, I didn't know it then. It was just, it just seemed like it wasn't doing much good. And then suddenly it does some really great good in my life. Now, see here, throughout the summer, we've been in this series we're calling High Fidelity. And, you know, we're, we're saying, what does, it, what does it mean to look like Jesus how do we get our lives more and more modeled after his life? How do we look more and more, more authentically like the original? How do we do that? And one of the most powerful ways to do that is to know your Bibles. Know your Bibles. Whenever I'm, I'm, I'm struggling, anger, frustration, some relationship, I will often turn to or remember, be reminded of something from God's word. When I'm feeling spiritually dry, or I'm frustrated with God, or I'm confused about what is supposed to happen next. Some, some the reference of the scripture, some, something I had read years ago, some verse I had memorized in, you know, back in Sunday school or in, in, in youth group will, will come back. It'll, it'll, it'll be a source of strength and, and wisdom and encouragement. Sometimes I'm, so I'll be working with someone. I'll be working with a parent, with a kid who's going through some incredible crisis or some couple that's kind of trying to rebuild some things in their marriage. And, I, and while I'm talking to them, I'm, I'm talking to God, right? And so I'm like, God, like, 
give me something here. I don't want to just give good advice, right? I, I want to give your word to them. I want to, like, what, what do they need to hear from you? And sometimes, like, I'll get this thing and I'll be like, all right, all right, like, and I'll, and I'll start talking about something. And I have been in my office talking with, with a full-grown man and I referenced some Bible story and some principle that I had gotten from it some years ago and all of a sudden a, a, a lip will quiver and a disposition will change and, a, and an openness and a brokenness will start to come and, and you'll see that that word was meant for them and, and I got to, to be able to, I got to be the one who got to bring it to them but it was the spirit using the word of God through me to impact and to change and to tear down some walls and to soften up a heart. And so I'm looking at these things. I'm like, this is the power of God's word. You know, we have this pastoral leadership incubator where we're training our, our lay leaders, our volunteer leaders at the church with a fairly aggressive, pretty intensive program. There's a whole lot of Bible. There's a whole lot of reading and books and study and soul searching and introspection. And it's been one of the highlights of my life over the last four years. We have four different cohorts going on. And I'll often tell, be telling a Bible story and then I'll ask the, the people uh, the, in the cohort to go ahead and, and fill out the details of the story. By the way, if you're ever thinking about signing up, just think of this. And I'll ask them, I'll be like, hey guys, you know, what happens then? And then what happens then? And if they get stumped with a story that I think they should already know, I say, they know what I say. I go, read your Bibles, people. <laughs> read your Bibles. Because in it, we will find the very word of God. We will be impacted and transformed each week the staff and the core, that they get together. We have a chapel session. And what we do is we just take a little bit, some idea from the scripture, some verse, and we just take an hour or so in the middle of the week just to, to let God's word transform us, to change our hearts, to impact us so that we will become the, the absolute best spiritual shepherds and leaders for our congregation as is possible. And so we submit ourselves to God word, God's word and, and we, we pray and we pray for you guys. We pray for the church. We pray for our ministers. We pray for each other. And we try to take God's word and see how it can transform us so that we can do everything that God has called us to do. You know, you could say that this whole, you know, other than the Jesus focus of the church and the gospel focus of the church, you might, if you are, are newer here or if you're out to the outside and you, and you hear something about the church and you might say you're a little bit Bible obsessed over there and, and you might just be right. You might just be right. I think it's true because time in God's word allows us to experience more and more of the presence and power of Jesus. Because Jesus loved the Bible. So this is, this is kind of a cool thing. We don't really think about it, but he, now Jesus had the First Testament. He had the Old Testament. There are 39 books uh, of, uh, of your Old Testament that you have in your Bibles. And he referenced it all the time. He talked about some of the characters. He referenced just individual Bible characters, Adam and Eve in Mark 10. Abel in Luke 11, the corruption that happened in Noah's day and the flood in Luke 17. He talks about Lot, Lot's wife, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses and the burning bush, Moses and heavenly manna, David and the showbread. He talked about Moses and the serpent on the staff. Like that was a critical historical moment that helped define all that we understand about the cross of Christ. He's referencing the Old Testament to bring that to us. He talks about Solomon and the queen of Sheba, Elisha, the widow, the famine, Naaman and leprosy and, and the murder of Zechariah, Daniel, 
the abomination of desolation, Jonah and the big fish. Jesus, he references all of these Bible characters, and it's not just that. He actually goes on to talk about, to quote, or to make allusions to all sorts of verses in the Bible. Throughout his ministry, he did this. During his, his hometown sermon, or the Sermon on the Mount that we also know of, he's referencing the Scriptures. He's quoting from the Bible. His confrontations that he had with the Jewish leaders, he's referencing time and again. Half a dozen references to the Bible. John the Baptist, he references the Bible. His triumphal entry, the cleansing of the temple. He quotes the prophet Isaiah. Imagine that. He's, he's about to do this epic moment that we all think about and know about. And Jesus, he's referencing the prophets of the Old Testament to shape and to frame what he's doing. Was he even using it to, to buttress his, his, his resolve? Remembering the prophets of old. He quotes the prophet Malachi. That means Jesus could quote from the minor prophets too. Those are the little books that come after the major prophets. He can, he can quote. He's, he, he's, got, he's comfortable all over the place. At his crucifixion, his words on the cross, two of them, Bible references. Different Psalms, by the way. He's able to bring them back to comfort himself and to teach us through it to encourage the people. I remember one time I was reading in a study Bible. I love study Bibles. I recommend them. If you don't have one, they're great. Uh, they're great uh, tools. I, was, I remember I was reading in a study Bible one time a passage that I have read dozens of times, The Temptation of Jesus. Some of you are, will be familiar with it. Jesus is tempted three times by Satan at the beginning of his ministry. And three times he quotes the Bible in order to combat the temptations of Satan. Which, by the way, Satan was also able to reference the Bible. So think of that. And Jesus is properly applying the scriptures against the temptation that Jesus... And so I read the first verse, and, I, and it footnotes it, and it says that it was from Deuteronomy. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Jesus was quoting from Deuteronomy. Cool. Then I referenced... I looked at the next verse that he used, and I noted that one was from Deuteronomy. I was like, wow, that's so interesting. Like, Jesus is just... He used two verses from Deuteronomy. Like, that's so funny. I think I only know two verses in the whole book of Deuteronomy, and, like, there weren't those. And, and then I see the third temptation. Now you can guess what book it was from. Deuteronomy. And I thought to myself, so Jesus is facing down Satan. He's facing down temptation. He's an example and a model for us. And he uses just the book of Deuteronomy to overcome temptation, a book that I am not real familiar with. I bought like six commentaries on the book of Deuteronomy that day, and I was like, I need to know this book. I haven't read but maybe half of one of them, but I should go read it now again as I'm thinking through it. I mean, three times, book of Deuteronomy. How many of you feel like you can use the book of Deuteronomy to transform your soul and to bring your righteousness into a level where holiness marks your day and, 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 and the, 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 the light of Jesus shines forth from you because you know the book of Deuteronomy? That's our model. Some scholars have said that one-tenth, there are about 1,800 verses that Jesus is saying something. And they say about 180 of them are direct quotes or allusions to the Bible. 10%. Can you imagine what would happen in our lives and in our community, here in our church, and out in the, out in the neighborhoods, in the mission field that we are, that we are called to, if 10% of our words were fully Bible-centric. 
Imagine what it would be like if, if we tithed our words. If we gave a tenth of our words to ourselves, to our soul, to our families, to our kids, to our parents, to our coworkers, if we gave a tenth of our words to bringing God's word to them. Man, that's how Jesus rolled. And the scriptures tell us that we also can love the scriptures. This is Psalm 119. It's just eight verses in Psalm 119. You can tell we're way, way down into this giant psalm. We're already down at 105, 105, uh, we're on a verse 105 of the psalm. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. I've promised it once and I'll promise it again. I will obey your righteous regulations. So look at this. Your word, righteous regulations. I have suffered much, O Lord. Lord, Restore my life again as you promised. Accept my offering of praise and teach me your regulations. This is all. He has eight different words that he uses in this, in this giant psalm to all talk about God's word. The regulations and the law and, uh, and, and the, the, uh, the, the word. And so he uses all of these different ways of describing it. And he goes on, he says, my life constantly hangs in the balance, but I will not stop obeying your instructions. Another one of the synonyms he uses. The wicked have set their traps for me, but I'm not going to turn away from your commandments. Another use of it. Your laws, another use, are my treasure. They're my heart's delight. I am determined to keep your decrees to the very end. Decrees, again, another one. Psalm 119. It's a really beautiful psalm. It's actually the longest chapter of the whole Bible, which is saying something, right? So like it's it, just, if you took the whole of the Bible, you're like, hey, what's the longest uh, chapter in the whole Bible? This is it. Oh, what's the topic? God's word for 176 verses. That makes this one Psalm. There are 150 Psalms. This is Psalm 119. It's a, it's a lot of numbers. 176. Keep up. Stay awake. 176 different verses, right? You get that whole big line of things. That makes this one Psalm longer than some of the entire books of the Bible than some of the epistles, than some of the minor prophets. It makes this one psalm. As if God was trying to spill so much ink that we couldn't miss the importance of his word. And what it says, you could spend days, weeks, hours just on each of these sections. Now here's what's super cool is the way that David wrote this thing, it's an acrostic. And so it's, and it's the most sophisticated example of an acrostic poem anywhere in the scriptures, maybe in antiquity too. But it's, so each of the 176 verses is broken up into different stanzas. There are eight verses in each stanza. So I'm going to nerd out here for just a second, but stick with me. And so the eight verses that are in each stanza, the first eight represent what we would call the letter A, or in Hebrew is Aleph, the, the letter A. And so the first eight verses are dedicated to Aleph, a single letter. And we know that because every single verse begins with the letter A. That's what makes it this really cool acrostic. Then it moves to the next stanza, which is bit. And that B is, is symbolized by those eight verses. And each of those verses begin with the letter B. And this goes on all the way to their Z, Tav. And so Aleph, Tav, this gigantic acrostic poem. Pretty cool. But is it just information? No, because he's saying, listen, every single letter matters. Every single letter is worthy of dwelling. Not just of the alphabet, but every single letter of God's word matters. Every single one. And it's worthy of its own reflection. It's worthy of its own consideration and delight. It is the A to Z 
which he stole. He stole from David. There's, they just stole it right from the Bible. Amazon comes and they're like, listen, we're going to provide everything. A to Z, the whole thing, a giant acrostic megastore. And, and so, and so and I was talking to some friends the other night, and I'm a big Amazon guy because I'm lazy. I don't like to go to the stores. And so, you know, but you start by ordering kind of like harder things to find and, and stuff that you have to go to like five stores to get. And you're like, oh, I'll just get Amazon. But then you get addicted. And then you start realizing it's not just two-day delivery, which is already awesome, but now you can get it like next day, and sometimes you can get it in like an hour or two, which is unbelievable to me. They're like, hit click now and you'll have it by lunch. I'm like, this is amazing. So it started to, it started to dawn on me. What, I know we've done some big purchases on Amazon, like hundreds and hundreds of dollars, a single purchase, like a piece of furniture or something like that. We just ship and have a guy bring it to my door. It's awesome. But how inexpensive would you be willing to go? Right, so I found one in our, in our uh, account for $4.99. So that means I saw this item, I needed this item, and rather than go to a store, I clicked buy, which set a whole series of actions in motion, right? That means someone had to get this, had to pull it off a shelf, had to stick it in a, in a cardboard box, had to load it in a truck, had to drive it to my house, had to walk it up to my door, had to stick it on my door and take a picture of it, just so I could have $4.99 worth of crap delivered personally right to me. And I thought, wow, that's pretty low. That's what a, that feels a bit aggressive to be, for me to be willing to do that. Is that as low as I would go? And I thought, no, it's actually not. I think a dollar is, I would, I would do that whole thing for a dollar. And he said, that's okay because it's A to Z, which means he's promising he will deliver anything I want, the whole of anything I might need. And I love this picture when you think about every single letter of the Hebrew alphabet being honored by a poem. Every single thing, no matter how great your circumstance and no, and no matter how small, God's word is going to speak into your life. No matter how seemingly inconsequential, God packs it up. He puts it in a cardboard box. He delivers it to your heart. He is a God-obsessed with getting his word into us. He says your, your, your word is a lamp. He's telling us everything you need, everything, all the guidance. You know, what are you going to depend on? Your own good head? The people around you? The government? Who, who's going to tell you what is right? What path you ought to walk? You're going to just use some common sense. It's great. Yeah, that's good. But what if common sense isn't what God wants you to do? There's tons of examples in the scriptures. Have you turned to the word of God to see that his word will be a guide to your feet? It will teach you things that are more important than, than, than the simple decisions that you might be struggling with and feel like are such a big deal. He says here, I've promised it once, I'll promise it again. I will obey your righteous regulations. I love this idea because when you obey the regulations, this feels like something you can't get excited about. You're obeying the rules. And at first you look at that and you go, oh man, I don't want to... Because this means authority. But have you considered the kind of freedom that comes from submitting yourself to the authority of God's word? He promises us that he's good. He promises us that he loves us more than we could possibly imagine. 
If you don't understand or you don't agree with something that is in the scriptures, if you feel like that shouldn't apply to me today or to my relationships or who I sleep with or how I earn my money, if you think that and the word of God confronts you, stop what you're doing and submit yourself to the word of God because it was written by a God who loves you and who has authority. He's not just randomly throwing these things out at you to trip you up and make your life more difficult. He's trying to extract from you the greatest life possible in this world. He's trying to set the stage so that you can trust him in all things. He tells us, my life constantly hangs in the balance, but I'll not stop obeying your instructions. The wicked have set their traps for me, but I will not turn from your commandments. All of the anxiousness, his life hangs in the balance. All of the stress, all of the wicked who are, who are conspiring against. And he goes, it doesn't matter what I'm going through. The word of God shows up. It shows up time and again. It challenges me. It helps me to see. It helps me to understand. How else do you get to, to forgive the people who hurt you? If you don't have the word of God telling you that we ought to forgive the people who are, it makes no sense. You don't forgive the people who hurt you. You hurt them back, right? I was raised by a mom who said, I don't get mad. I get, see, you guys were raised by her too. You guys know that. You've heard, yes, I don't get mad. I get even. And it's the word of God that has to unwire that in my head, untangle my soul from that idea so that I can actually love the people who have it out for you. Can, can we do that when we submit ourselves to the word of God and trust that the example he gave us in Christ is real? He ends that one little section. Again, I'm, I'm only glancing at eight fast little verses here, right? So your laws are my treasure. They are my heart's delight. I am determined to keep your decrees. They are my heart's delight. Law, commandments, word, covenant, regulations, instructions, my delight. When's the last time somebody said, how you doing today? You're like, I'm delighted. I'm skipping to work today. No, normally we're like, eh, I'm busy. I'm busy. He's like, no, no, no. How about how about delight? That's what he's he says to us. Listen, this, this word is sweeter than the sweetest of honey. It's, it's more valuable than gold. It's, it's more important than anything you could possibly imagine. Dedicate yourself to it fully and completely and let it be your delight. When it isn't your delight, use it as an opportunity to repent of the hardness of our hearts. When I'm having these seasons that are, are dry spells, I turn back to God. I'm like, Lord, please awaken in me again. Renew a right spirit in me. What I want is to delight myself in your word every day. And so you could ask yourself, where am I at? So rate your experience of God's presence in your life. You might say, I'm feeling pretty good. I feel like I'm up here at a six. Not very few are going to say seven, but maybe if you do, we should talk because i got to ask you some questions. But, uh, but uh, like you're, maybe you're in here. Maybe you're like, no, actually, I rarely feel God's presence. You know, I'm not even sure I'm a follower of Jesus. And if I am a follower of Jesus, I'm certainly not, oh, I'm not feeling his presence every day. Maybe you're over here. And here's what we're saying. When, when, when you think about getting back to the original, when you see your, your life being transformed so that you will look and be more and more like Jesus, you, you can rate yourself. You can say, I'm over here. Then all we got to do is figure out how to take one more step here. I'm not asking that you go, you know, go, you're not going from here to here. 
You wouldn't do that in any other area of life. It wouldn't work. And so instead, what you're going to do is you're going to figure out, how do I go from here to there? How do I make the incremental kinds of changes that I'll be able to stick with for the long haul? How do I, right, we underestimate how much we can get accomplished in little bits throughout a day and how powerful it could be. So what do we do? How do you create this lifestyle of biblical immersion? First, you got to decide that you're going to do it. This is an issue of the heart. It's an issue of trust. It's an issue of obedience. And I encourage you, give it a try. Commit yourself fully to being a Bible-focused, centric kind of a person. It will reap dividends in your soul and the lives of the people around you till the day you are called home to be with Jesus. Commit yourself. Commit your heart. Commit your mind. Take the sacrifice. Be open to whatever it means. When you fail, start again. Pick up the very next day. Don't let the failures and shame and guilt and any of that kind of stuff get in the way. That's what the enemy is trying to do. Instead, no, rewrite that narrative and get back to it. And know that your father's been waiting and calling you and he's been running after you the whole time whether you knew it or not. Ask God to meet you. This is your time for prayer, your devotional time for to set aside some sort of a moment and ask God, say, listen, God, I'm not, I'm not just reading here to read and check it off so that I can say, hey, yeah, I'm on the Bible reading plan the beacon sends out. Hey, Trev, I, I caught up. I'm, I'm not three weeks behind anymore. You're asking God to speak to you. Eddie said it in his prayer, right? I mean, give us, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. So pray, ask, then create a space. You want to get down to, to brass tacks here? Create a space. When are you going to? What are you going to do? How is it going to be? What kind of time are you going to spend? Set all that up. Make a decision and just do it tomorrow. It's as simple as that. That's it. You know, know where you're going to go. Know, have, have, your, have your Bible. Have your journal. Create your routine. You know, get your, get your coffee on a timer or whatever you need to do. And you say, yeah, but I can't. I'm too busy. I can almost guarantee that most every one of you brushed your teeth today. And the reason you brush your teeth today is because you, you want friends. And so you brush your teeth. In fact, not a day goes by where I don't brush my teeth at least twice. And now I'm even flossing. This might be too much information. But anyway, the point is you do it because you say, I have to because this is important. It matters. And so start there. Two minutes is what, my is what my toothbrush tells me I'm supposed to do. Two minutes, sonic care. I still don't know how to work it. But two, two minutes, I'm supposed to use this thing, right? That's two minutes in the morning, two minutes in the afternoon. Four minutes. If you're doing nothing at all, start there. We know you can because you're willing to brush your teeth. Make a commitment that, you know, you won't brush your teeth till you read the Bible. No brush, no, no Bible, no brush. We used, to have, we used to have a no Bible, no breakfast club uh, when I uh, was uh, years ago in the faith. But anyway, the point is, Create a space, make a plan, come up with it, have your translations. Work toward 15, 20, 30 minutes. And, and what you're doing in this time of being with the scriptures is you're getting the word into your heart. You're getting the word into your heart. That's what you're after. Now, it's great. You're going to learn it. You're going to memorize it, I hope. You're going to write some things out on three-by-five cards and all that, and you're going to study sometimes, and maybe you'll read some commentaries or some dictionaries, and that is all fantastic. I think you've got to get the word into your head in that way, but what we're talking about here is getting it into your heart. 
That means you're going to set yourself in that moment. You're going you're to experience what the, what the original audience might have been able to experience. You're going to imagine what it would have been like to, sitting, to be sitting there listening to the teaching of Jesus or to be a participant in the battle that Gideon you know, was calling his people to. When Jonathan says to his armor bearer, let's go pick a fight with the Philistines and see if God shows up. If you were the armor bearer, what would you be experiencing in that moment? Where would the doubt and the fear and the anxiety come in? And what would happen in that moment? Put yourself in the scene. Don't think in terms of just covering a whole lot of the, the text, but really just allow yourself to be immersed in the biblical truths. Read, 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 read some more. Listen, then watch. Anything you can to get the word inside. Read with imagination. The, the Bible will so often give it in narrative form for a reason. It wants you to experience the story. Write stuff down, journal if that helps, whatever it takes to get the word of God in you. We were in uh, downtown Manhattan visiting uh, my oldest son who lives in, in Manhattan, and we were walking down the street and we saw this. I forget where it is. Uh, uh, seven, I don't, I can't read it. Anyway, we, they're, they're obviously renovating this, this giant old church, right? And so you, maybe you can tell, but like, this is the front of the church, all the cool architecture and facade, and they knocked down everything else. Everything else is gone. Like, this is, this is what, you, from the front, you might think this is an incredible place and an amazing thing. And then you get right past the, the fake front doors, and you realize there's just, they just demoed everything. And whether it burned down or they're going to build it, I don't know what they're doing with it. But it just struck me as such a powerful image because, like, that's, that's what so many of us experience. We're here in the Christian life, and we just put a, we put a little facade up, make it look like a neat little church. Look, I got a steeple in my life. I have a, I got a couple of cool carvings. I look pretty good from a distance. Just don't come too close. If you want to know what it's like to be like Jesus, if you want to be like Jesus, we got to fill out the rest of the, the rest of the architecture here. We got to fill out the rest of the story. We can't be a facade and expect that you will experience any sort of the power of the presence of Jesus. You, you won't. You won't. One of the best, most powerful ways you're going to fill out the rest of this is to know what God has for you in his word. The promises that he offers, the identity that he gives to you. And when he sharpens you in this way and you become stronger, you know what that's going to do? It's going to make you a more powerful tool in the arsenal of our king. You will be able to tithe your words back to the community, back to your family, back to your small group, back to the people that depend upon you, to the people in your neighborhood who are far from Jesus, the coworkers who don't know anything. You're going to be able to take the word of God and you're going to be able to apply it to their lives in life-changing ways because it's what's happened with you. Father, we're asking that you would do this and so much more in our hearts. What we want, Lord, is to be people of the book. We want to walk with you, God, in these ways. We want to, we want to follow the example of our Savior. We want, to, we want to, when we're cut, Lord, we want to bleed your word. When we're discouraged, we want to find hope and comfort in it. Lord, when we're, we're, we're clueless, when we're, we're, we don't know what's going on, we don't know the direction to go, Father, what we need is your word in us. We want it rich and alive. Talk to us through it. Communicate to us. Father, let us have a dialogue with you. 
as we enter into your presence by the study of a word. Father, I want, I'm asking, please stir up each person's heart here that they might increasingly delight in your word, being people of the book, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you enjoyed the sermon, want to learn more about Jesus, or get to know our community, please visit beacon.church to get connected. We would love to hear from you.